everybody, this is Devin Boker, and you are listening to The Wildlife, the official podcast of the nonprofit of the same name, aimed at breaking down barriers of exclusion in the outdoors and STEM to make it a more safe, inclusive, and accessible place. If you'd like to support our organization, you can do that by checking the links in the bio. There's a few ways you can do it. Individual donations, uh, joining our Patreon. Seriously, any anything helps. Every penny helps. You can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Really help get our ambitious programs off the ground so that we can start to make a difference in, in some people's lives. Before we get any further with uh, what this episode is about, if you might have seen the title uh, or, or introducing our guest, um, we got to thank some of the people who, who do make this show possible, who make the nonprofit possible, frankly, uh, our patrons, our members, Gina Spadafori, Karen Bingston, the folks over at the Mad Scientist Pod, Rosie Bailey, Charlie Rodriguez, Charlene Irvin Brown, Kim Drolet, Karen Bergman, Vikram Baliga of Planthropology and the Plant Prof., Maria Hancox, Angela Seibert, Bridget Fitzgerald, Megan Gariani, and Matt Capel. Now, if you listened to the episode posted earlier this week, that was a bit of a uh, behind the scenes, behind the sciences uh, teaser of sorts, where we got to know today's guest. And, and if you didn't listen to that, don't worry about pausing and going back and listening because that segment is included in this episode as well. Um, but if you if you listen to that, you might have some idea of what this episode is. I'm here to tell you. If you have a weak stomach, or easily grossed out, or are particularly proper, maybe you want to skip this episode, but I would highly recommend putting those things aside and listening anyway, because because it is fascinating. You will learn about how you are connected with all other mammals in a matter of 12 seconds, the hydrodynamics of poop, the law of urination, and about something called the global feces problem, and most importantly, about wombats and why they have cubed poop. Like how? Cubes? Like, how does that work? Do they have a, they have a cubed exit? They don't, they don't. We'll, we'll get into that. Today's guest is uh, Patricia Yang. She's a postdoc in civil and environmental engineering where she's studying the collective behavior of birds. Before coming to Stanford, she completed doctoral and postdoctoral studies in mechanical engineering at Georgia Institute of Technology on the fluid mechanics of body fluids, in particular, blood, feces, and urine. She received her bachelor's degree in engineering science and ocean engineering and physics from National Taiwan University. Yang was also the recipient of the Sigma Z Best Thesis Award and the Ig Nobel Prize in Physics. If you don't know what the Ig Nobel is, it's not the Nobel, it's sort of like the uh, the special Nobel for interesting, funny, odd research. She's actually the twice winner. Her work has been featured on CNN, the BBC, National Public Radio, National Geographic, and The Times. In addition to conducting research, she teaches fluid mechanics, which is a complicated subject, at all levels, from elementary school to college. If you'd like to learn more about her work, see some amazing animations, videos. Um, she has a beautifully, beautifully, beautifully put together and organized website at uh, patriciayang.net.
what brought us to Patricia Yang, what what made me reach out to her in the first place was, uh, well, she published some research that explains this odd phenomena that people have questioned for a very, very, very long time, which is wombats and their cubed poop. How does how does that work? How does that happen? Why? If you think about anything else, anything, uh, any other animal and their poop, if you think about that, uh, even semi-regularly, no pun intended in terms of, yeah. Uh, you don't think of cubes. You think of uh, cylinders or, or balls or, or something. Um, and so it's pretty odd. So people have been wondering this for a very long time. Patricia Yang figured it out. And so I knew immediately that for myself and for anyone else out there who, who might be curious about the answer, we needed to get her on the show. But before we get to the cubed poo portion of the episode, it's only fair that if we're going to be talking about their poop, we, we give a little bit of background on the creatures themselves, right? Let's talk about wombats. There are actually three extant or currently living species of wombat. The most abundant is the common wombat or bald-nosed wombat. Scientific name is Vombatus ursinus, which is derived from Wombat, it's the animal's name in Daruk, which is an Australian Aboriginal language, and the Ursinus means bear-like, uh, like the American black bears, Ursus Americanus. The other two species are in a different genus. It's Lassiorhinus. Lassio means shaggy in Greek, and uh, Rhinus is nose. So, shaggy nose. So we have the bald nose and the hairy nose. If you've never seen a wombat, and if you haven't, I'm so sorry because they're incredibly adorable. They are these stocky marsupials or, or pouched mammals weighing up to 80 pounds and 47 inches nose to butt. They're found in Australia and some nearby islands. And like other marsupials, the wombat gives birth to these tiny, tiny, underdeveloped little pinky baby things that crawl into a pouch on their mom's belly where they finish development. In this case, it's about five months or so. Even after they leave the pouch, it'll come back and, and sometimes even crawl back in the pouch to nurse or to escape danger. It's adorable. Wombats use their strong claws to dig burrows in the open grasslands and eucalyptus forests they call home. These burrows are no joke, either. They can be surprisingly extensive tunnel and chamber, almost like apartment complexes. Common wombats are solitary inhabit their own burrows, they spend their time to themselves, but the other species, those other two, are, are more social and live together in these large burrow groups called colonies, or a mob, which is like, man, what happened when somebody crossed a group of wombats back in the day? Who knows? The unfortunate thing is that their burrow building habits frequently get them into conflicts with people, especially as their habitat becomes more <sighs> fragmented and, and replaced as a premium for farm and ranch lands. They're regularly hunted as vermin and sometimes for their fur or even for sport. Now with any animal, you can learn a lot about them just based on what they eat. Wombats are nocturnal, and they really only come out at night to uh, feed on grasses, roots, bark. They have rodent-like incisors, like, like a beaver. They never stop growing, so they have to constantly gnaw on something. Tougher sticks and things like that is, is perfect to keep those teeth dulled down so they don't get uh, 
overly long and, and cause damage of, of some kind. And that, my friends, is where the poop comes in. First question, why did you decide to look into this? The cubed poop um, question. Okay. <laughs> it's not a long-term goal for me. <laughs> Let's sure. put it that way. And there is no like little young girl when they said like, oh, I want to study poo when I get to grad school. No, <laughs> no such a thing. It's, uh, I would say maybe relatively I'm more open-minded. Patricia went into grad school with an open mind. When I get into grad school, I mm -hmm. don't really think my thesis has to be very um, application-based or industry-related. Sure. Yeah. And that's the goal I set to myself. I want to be. I want to make this super fun. So I joined that kind of super fun lab. Mm -hmm. If you go further to check the, the lab I was in, there's more interesting topic there. And I I said to myself, I will sit. I will be as much open as I can and take all the projects. Mm. And this, so everything start with this P project, the urine project. Yeah. And that was from an advisor when he, his son was born and he, his life was changing diaper every day. <laughs> yeah. And he got this idea in mind for a while, but somehow none of his students happy to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember I was the youngest grad student at that point, And then everyone looked at me and said, oh, that must be she because we don't want these. <laughs> And I'm fine. I think that's cool. I can take anything. Yeah. So that started journey. Mm -hmm. But then after this great success on the P research, mm -hmm. we figured out this research topic is not just smelly. There's more stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of food mechanics, a lot of math, and a lot of fun. And then and, and sorry, and the thing is that the research is not that complicated. So I can graduate on time. <laughs> well, it seems like it's such an interesting question. I mean, it, it's funny because it's maybe not one that many people would initially ask or, or look into. But but I mean, it is something that like once you start to think about it, it's like, wait a second. There's actually a lot going on here, I feel like. And there's actually a lot more than just one question. Like it 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 is kind of its own like rabbit hole of sorts. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like... Uh, you know, an endless chain reaction of questions. You can say that's like a new field of study or something. <laughs> so on, on this particular study, I mean, did you get to work with wombats in person? We have, um, so our collaborator in Tasmania mm -hmm. shipped us the wombat's gut to us. Mm. So it's just the gut, not the, not the whole animal. <laughs> I've never seen an animal, a wombat in my life. So is there anything that you can tell us about their their biology or the ecology, or is there anything that I guess the gut could tell you? Uh, yeah, so the gut is extraordinarily longer. I, If I remember correctly, it's probably, based on their body size, it's seven times more than their comparable size animals. Oh, wow. The guts themselves are filled with gas in this gross, um, I'm so sorry for this, yogurty substance, but the real piece that adds to the puzzle is this. And then, and then these be actually cubes 
inside the gun, not not when you spray out. The poo is cubed already, so it's not a matter of like um, molding or or conforming to the shape that it's squeezed through. It's not like fitting a, a a cube through a cube. It's it's getting a cube through a round hole on the way out. And um, from our collaborator, we got more um, biology biology side of this animal. So they actually are more active at night. Mm. So they use these cubes to mark their territories. Oh. And the shape will help the, the smell, help the coop coop stay on the rock so it will roll away. Now, what's a way of testing this? I mean, after all, we roll dice, right? And we actually did some cool tests, like say if we had Play-Doh and we just make a sphere and make a cube and start to drop it at the same height of Wombat's butt <laughs> and then see which one will go further. <laughs> so with with the cube, I mean, how does that how does that work? I mean, how is that made into that shape? It seems kind of unnatural. That is very unnatural. That is too human. <laughs> <laughs> so what we figure out is the magic is in their intestine. Mm. If you look at the say cross section of the intestine, that's a ring, right? Mm-hmm. And for for most animals or for human, this ring is very uniform. So it will ex- expand and contract at all di- direction in the same way. Sure. Yeah, but wombat's not the case. Here's the thing about wombat intestines. They're not uniform, which if you're not familiar with intestines or anything like that, that might not really mean a whole lot of anything to you, but it's important in this case. It's also really, how do I put this, in four portions. Some parts are stiffer, some parts are softer, and then they are periodic. So that is soft, stiff, soft, stiff. When they expand, the stiff parts aren't as flexible. They, they can't shift as much. And so they form two corners. And but when this uh, rubber band contracts back, the stiff part also cannot uh, react as fast as the soft part, right? Mm-hmm. So then the soft part contracts more and becomes corners. Hmm. So eventually there are four corners, but they are not formed at um, they are formed at different mechanics. <laughs> huh. No, that that. that makes a weird kind of sense <laughs> yeah it took us a while to figure this out yeah i can i can see how <laughs> how so i mean how does that um i mean so if you're just dealing with a gut i mean you're not dealing with like the live animal or you know doing some kind of you know internal camera you know watching things take place i mean how do you figure that out then so first we have put a wombat in the CT scan. You know, not all things in this episode are hyper important to visualize, but I do feel like imagining a wombat in a CT scan. Yeah, I mean that's just cute, right? Mm. Yeah. So we see the the their anus is not cubical. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> So for sure, this shape is not because of the this shape of the anus, not because of the orifice. And then we also communicate with our collaborator in Australia back and forth. Our collaborator, his name is Scott Quiver, told us that the cubes inside the gut 
there are some crazy hypotheses locally say, oh, maybe the the wombat will mold the shape, <laughs> like will play around with it and then make it square. It's not. And there's maybe there are specific bones when the when the cube pass through that bones that would give the shape. It's yeah. not no such a bone. So eventually we we have this intestine and we do some mechanical tests at different regime. Like we manually stretch it. Ah. <laughs> and yeah, and then we there there's an experiment that's actually quite interesting is we don't want cut intestine. Yeah. So we found a uh, animal balloon. Like the long tubular cylindrical balloons that you use to like to like make balloon animals? You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. the, the, the long cylindrical balloon. Yeah. And we insert it to long bass intestine. Oh, oh and that's then clever. We, and then we inflate the balloon and see how this intestine expands in a different portion. That's, yeah, so that's... We, mark, we mark it before, after, and then see how this marking separate from each other. Yeah. I love that. There's like a, I don't, I don't really know how to put it, but I, I love how like unexpected that is, <laughs> but it seems like so clear, but it's so clever, you know? Uh, yeah, but you know, everything you can got from Amazon, <laughs> so yeah. it's not as hard as you think, but just, it takes some brainstorming. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's the creativity piece of it. Um, you know, cause I think for a lot of people, and people who are listening, you know, they, they might typically think of science as, you know, you're, you got your lab coats and beakers and, you know, writing with a, a, a white marker on a glass board and it's, you know, really yeah. technical and mm-hmm. wouldn't really think like, oh, you know, maybe sometimes it's taking a balloon and inflating it inside of an intestine. <laughs> yeah, sometimes everything you can get in Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. So there you have it. Wombats have cubed poop because of a weird organization of a non-uniform intestine where some parts contract more easily and others don't, which causes some tight corners and therefore some tight corners on the poop. There's no Play-Dohing the poop on the way out. It's it's not uh, it's not a uh, cubicle orifice or anything like that. It's just the nature of the intestines. And it just so happens to suit very well to a strong need of wombats in marking their territory in hilly terrain and and, and uh, suiting their nature of being nocturnal and having a strong sense of smell and, and things like that. So nature has its ways. Nature is wacky. There's a few other things related to this subject that are uh, definitely pretty weird. One of them being the law of urination and another being a, a unifying factor between mammals that orients itself around 12 seconds. And, and those things we're going to get into. But first, we need to take a break. Hi there from the Hike Hopper's crew. Hike Hopper's mission is to strengthen the body, feed the mind, and calm the soul by providing outdoor events and programming that connect people to each other, to themselves, and to nature. From women's hiking groups to kids' camps and community events for all, we invite you to visit our website at www.hikehoppers.org for details on the many ways we work to help create happier, healthier communities. See you on the trails! And 
it is time for Edible Sound of the Week. You heard that right. We are bringing back the infamous, maybe famous, I don't know, the Animal Sound of the Week. Uh, this week, it is a, uh, it's quite a loud sound, so you might want to turn it down just a tad. And if you're not familiar with this, because we haven't done it in a while, we are going to play an animal sound. Um, we are also going to attempt the animal sound, and it is up to you to guess what that animal is. Guess correctly, get a prize. So far, no one has ever guessed correctly. I think, well, okay, no, I think maybe one or two times throughout the uh, the history of our show, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll also be posting it on social media, and then uh, once we reveal what the animal is, we would also would like you to uh, share your own attempts at making the sound using the hashtag Animal Sound of the Week, or hashtag The Wildlife. We'll be uh, looking at both. So, here it goes. <laughs> Just as much as this show is about wild lives and nature, it's also about the people who study them. In this case, Patricia Yang. So, this is our chance to go a little bit behind the sciences, behind the scenes, to get to know Patricia, a little bit of her background, motivations, uh, uh, experience, and um, advice that she might share to a younger Patricia. Well, um, how long have you been interested in science? Um, okay, so my mom is a biologist. So I mm -hmm. can't really differentiate my life between science and ah. normal people. <laughs> <That could laughs> sure. Yeah. And I was quite interesting. I'm, I'm always interesting, like animals and then happy to be with animals. Yeah. Let's put it that way since I was real little. Mm -hmm. But then somehow, you know, uh, when you study more subjects, you got more interested in different areas. So there was a time I was super interested in math. Mm -hmm. And then it was super interesting in physics. And then it towards to the uh, flu mechanics. Yeah, then eventually it becomes something like this. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, were, if you ask like how long, I would say science-ish, maybe high school, middle school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When when was your first real connection with nature itself? Um, it was the first time when I was in my PhD advisor's talk, his his seminar on his research. Okay. It was when I was in college. I haven't joined his lab. I haven't thought of going to grad school. Mm -hmm. And his talk is about water strider and snake walk, uh, snake movement. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. That was the first time I said, oh, okay. So I like animal, but it's, it doesn't have to be just a after work happy. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I love math too. And that could somehow be a great combination. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. When did, when did you... I suppose you know choose the uh, fluid fluid mechanic portion of all this and and like the connections with biology all that interdisciplinary connection so uh when i was in college my major is ocean engineering mm -hmm. so i learned a lot of fluid mechanics but i'm i somehow not i'm 
I'm some, I was somehow not that interesting in the, in the industry of uh, the, the ocean engineering, hmm. which is the main trend when I was in Taiwan. And, and at the same time, I, uh, my future advisor, uh, so my future advisor, his name is David Tu, who visit Taiwan. So we, so I, I somehow joined that workshop and decide that that is a great combination. His, his major was at, is also fluid mechanics. It's one of those things that's really honestly interested me personally. I was never the best at math. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was a bit of a struggle. It's, it's so more, I'm like conceptually really interested, but when it comes to like the nitty gritty, I, I struggle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's quite common. I. I taught fluid mechanics at different level from even middle school to mm-hmm. college student to grad to graduate as a like teaching assistant. Mm. Everyone loves water. Yeah. And thinks those phenomena were cool. But the design of the course structure somehow sometimes very put a lot of emphasis on the math part. Yeah. And yeah. that demotivates some of the students. That's mm-hmm. why I feel. Yeah, definitely. What advice would you give a, a younger you for knowing what you know now about your field of study? I was very anxious for every step I was choosing mm-hmm. because I switch a lot, like from animal, from biology, <laughs> to physics, to ocean, sure. to this. So every step I was so panicked and I asked around so many people that eventually become a statistics. <laughs> <laughs> and if I had a chance to talk to her, I want to say just, it's okay. <laughs> and then just do what you're doing at this point and be really happy and you'll be fine. That's good advice. That's good advice. I think a lot of people spend a lot of their time, especially in school and things, just worrying about everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's common in U.S., but in Taiwan, there's a lot of time things are separated into two aspects. Oh, this is the real world application part, not mm-hmm. so fun. And that is the basic sign curiosity part, not so useful. And mm-hmm. you always have to choose one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I was a bit trapped by this binary separation and then got a, a little bit yeah, a little bit lost when I was a, a high school or a college student. Oh, I understand that. So, so that rabbit hole I mentioned, I, I, I felt like if I didn't ask you about some of these things that I would be making a huge mistake. So, <laughs> um, I, one of the things, the first thing I think uh, was I stumbled upon a paper where you had this question in regards to the hydrodynamics of poo. And I was asking <laughs> if animals excrete with rectal pressure or if it's a kind of sliding out sort of thing. What what did you end up finding with that? So end up it's sliding out. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's because there is a thin layer of fluid called mucus mm-hmm. in between the the gut and the feces. Huh. And that is very thin, but if you happen to say you had a pad or you happen to no, I don't think people will observe their feces. <laughs> so this, for the super fresh feces, there is a shiny layer on, on the surface, mm-hmm. and that is mucus. But it, eva- 
evaporates really quick. And so is this like a, a uniform thing across, you know, humans and animals and? Uh, for all animals with, and humans with cylindrical poop. Ah, it's okay. Not so not Some, wombats. No, well, uh, wombat, we're not quite sure because oh. <laughs> we have a chance to have the fresh poop. Ah, sure. Yeah, and then in this paper, we have some math model to estimate, okay, uh, the lens of the god and the lens of the feces, the piece of feces. <laughs> yeah, and then we also collect all these bunch of poop from Zoo Atlanta for all mammals. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so wombat's probably more fall into the category of, uh, say, pallet poop animals. Okay. So that would be a different category, yeah. Sure, like like a deer. Yeah, like a deer or a rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know what that's like. I've got rabbits that hang out in my yard frequently, and it's... Uh, yeah, so you know those pallet yep. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, and I also know that they eat it. Like, they eat it. Oh, yeah, they, they will yeah. chew your back. <laughs> So, uh, type of feces. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. They have this night feces and day feces, and night feces seems more watery. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. Hmm. So, basically, basically, the gist of it all is that uh, mammals with cylindrical feces, not not uh, not ungulates and, th and things that have uh, non-cylindrical feces, but like cylindrical poop. They defecate in five to twenty seconds, or, or somewhere around an average of like twelve-ish seconds. And uh, the the question had been: Do animals excrete with rectal pressure, or is it more of just like an effortless sliding out? And so you may, from like personal experience, be saying, "No, no, 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 no. It does not take that long. It takes longer." Or, "No, no, 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 no. There is no sliding out." That takes some force. Well, first off, my friend, you may need to get checked. Second, that's also because humans poop in a very unnatural way for our bodies. We are supposed to uh, to squat. And if we were to do that, it would probably come out a lot easier. Um, and that's why things like the squatty potty and stuff, if, if you haven't seen that, uh, commercials are great. Um, that's why things like that are, are rising in popularity and uh, colon health experts recommend those sorts of things. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if we were more like our, our wild kin, we, we would, we would, well, we would poop in about the same amount of time. That's it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, there we go. There we go. That is the hydrodynamics of poop. But now as promised, the law of your nation. And what is the law of your nation? Really, the question is, how do animals urinate? It is a question. It might not be your question, but it's been a question, and it's a question that has been answered. Is urine driven by bladder pressure, by gravity? Sort of like the poop thing, but a little bit different. So the other thing that I, I saw, and, and you kind of spoke about this a moment ago, was the uh, the uh, urination research. It was, and, and on your website, it was listed as the law of urination how animals urinate and if it's driven by bladder pressure or by gravity, which is kind of similar to the previous one. Um, but what is it? So it depends on your size. Okay. <laughs> so for elephant, that is mostly gravity. Okay. And the importance of bladder pressure increases when animal size gets smaller, mm -hmm. but not a significant 
for a human, for dogs, or for cats. So, okay. but it's critical for say rats or bats. Hmm. So these tiny, tiny animals, their urine are actually droplets, not jets. Oh. Yeah, and because their their urines are just so thin, so tiny, so mm -hmm. they have a lot of resistance, like viscosity, like yeah, most of it's viscosity. <laughs> so the bladder pressure has to like really squeeze it out. Huh. Yeah, but yeah. For, for animals like say human or elephant, uh, lions, all these larger animals, that's mm -hmm. effortless. <laughs> like just let it go, and then the gravity do the work. Does the work. It's it it makes me think of like doing lab work, and when you have like pipettes, and, <laughs> and and so it's kind of a similar thing when you have like the small pipette, and sometimes like the liquid doesn't even come out unless you unless you squeeze the other end. Oh yeah, that's exactly the same thing. Huh. Weird. It's just because they're so tiny, so then all the fluids gushed up there become a droplet. So is it kind of like, you know, the more the more fluid there is, the more, you know, weight, the more the more uh gravity is kind of pushing it down and therefore it, you need less bladder it, pressure. It's it just a lot of animals they have a wider pipe. Ah. Okay. And the longer pipe, longer pipe also help gravity. There was the uh, there was another thing that I saw, and it I thought it was incredibly intriguing, and <laughs> I, I wondered if you could talk about it for a moment. Um, the sure. global feces problem. What is what is the global feces problem? Okay, so global feces problem is we have a collaborator in civil, and he, his interest was. Um, Global health, this wash disease, like mm -hmm. how to manage sewage or human feces properly. <laughs> and then he figured out there's actually a gap. Like we don't talk about or try to manage animal feces. And there are a lot of animals we're actually like in the farm or in the industry. Yeah. And turn out these animals, like say human are actually consume more and more meat. Mm -hmm. So we are having more and more farm animals. So if you're a regular listener, you might have heard one of our one-offs. Um, well, not one-offs. It's a part of a broader series. But recently we did an episode about overpopulation and some of the myths behind it. And one of the things we talked about was this thing called the demographic transition model and uh, how a, a, a raising in the standard of living um, is overall better for preventing drastic overpopulation and the consequences that come with it and things like that and how most places in the world were having a drastic increase in their standard of living compared to our human history. One of those things, uh, one sign is a, a higher rate of meat consumption. Of course, if there's a higher rate of meat consumption, we need more meat. More meat is more animals because where else does meat come from? And more animals means, well, more poop. So eventually this poop, these piling up poop will give like public health problem. Hmm. Yeah, so we uh, define a ratio like when we have one kilogram human poop, how many corresponding animal poop we will have in the world. Oh, okay. Yeah, and this ratio is increasing. What What is it about? Uh, it was one to four and oh. in our, uh, if I remember correctly, in our paper, we project that 
after 10 years, you will be one to six. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And uh, we never thought of managing them. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, what are the implications then? I mean, what does, um, um, uh, this will be a big issue for, so say we have more animals and mm -hmm. human and animals are living close and closer. Yeah. So this will first impact like farm workers, like the, and then this yeah. disease transmission from animals to human. That makes sense. I mean, when we talked about this last year, probably not as people won't feel it, but now I guess everyone knows what's going on here. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I have to ask, I wonder, because, you know, looking through looking through your stuff and everything is just such interesting questions being asked and interesting answers being found. I mean, what's what's next for you? I mean, what are what are some of the next questions that you want to ask and, and look into? We uh, I have several projects going on. So one is we look at feces, mm -hmm. we look at how they form and we found, OK, not not the like surface fluid this mucus could change the velocity of it but mm -hmm. also the the contraction of intestine could change the shape in wombat case mm -hmm. and now we want to go up say okay how we have this yogurt ish water ish pre-poop or like the food ish in our <laughs> stomach mm -hmm. become becomes species like this uh, harder play-doh yeah so that's one of the questions i want to like what's the role of intestine as a say a mixer or a, a blender or what is that oh yeah that's interesting yeah and then another question is what my current project is how birds flock together oh that's 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 interesting that is something that i have wondered ever since I was a little kid <laughs> trying to figure yeah, that out. I guess you, you saw that all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we um, we want to know like if these birds are actually attract to each other physically, mm -hmm. like if or if they decide there is a certain rule that they can keep in the group but and get some benefit compared to flying together, flying, flying by themselves. Um, one of the things that uh, we've been asking everyone as of late, because this year we started a, um, a book club. Mm -hmm. And so we've been asking all of our guests for any recommendations that they have, um, science books, nature books, stuff related to this specific topic, really anything um, that our listeners might be interested in, in reading. Um, if I recommend one, I would say the book just published from my PhD advisor. Mm -hmm. That's called How to Walk on Water and Climb Up Walls. Ooh. So I read that and I personally recommend this because that book is not very technical. Oh, nice. <laughs> Instead, there's a lot of crazy experiments that mm -hmm. you could never thought of. <laughs> <laughs> and you will see how these scientists like try to extreme to dig out how to solve problems by yeah. like search over Amazon or get all this crazy stuff. You know, that's, that's, that's interesting. I, I really appreciate when, you know, while I typically understand things fairly well and stuff when it comes to, you know, a lot of the technical stuff, I really appreciate when it's written in a way that's really accessible 
and that the average person can just pick up on and, and you know, pick it up off the shelf and start reading it and, and not have to sit there and do a whole bunch of research to figure out what's going on. No, no, no. That book has zero math. <laughs> oh, nice. It's really like a, a novel type thing. Is there anything that um, maybe we didn't ask that that you think, you know, people would be interested in, in learning? I would say uh, for all the listeners to your mm -hmm. podcast, no matter, like everyone could really be a scientist. Just keep your curiosity. Don't kill it. <laughs> <laughs> like ask questions when you're cooking, ask questions when you're in the bathroom, ask questions in your life. I love that. It might become my new catchphrase. I'm going to ask Patricia Yang for permission, but uh, keep your curiosity. Don't kill it. Think, ask questions. No question is too weird or, or strange or, or gross or stupid or anything. We are all science people. We all uh, have a natural knack for science. We all at our basic core understand things like physics and gravity, intelligence, uh, creativity, the ability to ask those questions, critical thinking, all that, that's, that's, that's everywhere. That's in all of us. So uh, continue to ask the weird questions. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're mowing the lawn, if you're pooping, it, what, whatever it might be, ask the questions. And dare to find the answers, which I think is a good um, point to wrap up our episode. So uh, thank you again to our, our guest for the day, um, Patricia Yang. Thank you for listening to the show today. Remember, wherever you're listening, if you can drop us a rating, a review, a comment, anything like that, just to give us some feedback, let us know what you think. Um, and also, if you'd like to support the show, just um, there's so many ways that you can. It's almost best to just say, check the links in the episode description. I'm Devin Boker, and this is The Wildlife. <laughs>